Jamie, welcome to the podcast. You've got such a storied history in the industry. Um, you've yeah. done a lot of different things. I'm excited to have you on today. First things first, I'm going to throw a few rapid fire questions. Just get warmed up a little bit. Um, okay. Can one after the other sound good? Mm-hmm. Cool. First thing, what was the first video game you ever played? The first video game I ever played was probably the original Mario Brothers on the Nintendo Entertainment System, also known as the NES. My dad bought it when we were very young. I forget when the console came out in America, but he was always someone that loved buying consoles and buying computers, like the first Apples and all that stuff. So that was definitely a big part of growing up was watching him play it and then us also trying our hand at it. What time did you get better than him at? Like what age? Oh, probably immediately. <laughs> it didn't take very long, although I'm still not great yeah. at platformers, but... My dad was more of a hobbyist, much less so like a trying to be good gamer. I think the tech and all that stuff was what he was interested in. Um, and, you know, seeing the advancement at that time in the 80s was like, wow, this is really cool. And we got to get our hands on this and check it out. Cool. What, um, being like, so between being your father on video game high school and your brother in real life, mm -hmm. which Freddie Wong was harder to deal with? <laughs> Uh, probably the video game high school version, because he was not a good person in that series, um, whereas he is a very good person in real life. Although they did base the relationship that Ted in that show has with his dad off of the relationship that I do have with my brother, but obviously not to that extreme. Um, but Freddie and I are about a year and a half <laughs> apart in age, and in the show he plays my dad, so there's obviously a little bit of a difference there. I love that. Uh, you filmed over 300 episodes of Feast of Fiction now. Which mm -hmm. one did you have to pretend the most to enjoy? Uh, that one's not hard to answer. There was a feast that, and we actually didn't even pretend to enjoy it because it just wasn't that good. There was a feast that we made from Shokugeki no Sama or uh, Food Wars. And it was called the Tureen, I think. Uh, it's like this like six layer dish where it has each of a different color and they're from a, it's a different thing and they had a actual a recipe that they released so we we're like let's just go off the recipe that the anime itself released because they do a lot of research into all these episodes and we made it and it came out and it tasted like cat food it was really really bad and it also took us like six or seven hours to make the whole thing because you're making basically seven or eight dishes in one um but yeah that was definitely the biggest mistake we made and we tried, I tried to make it sound like it tasted all right, but it didn't taste very good. I love that. I love that. Uh, so again, sticking with that theme, if you had to pick one character from any fictional universe uh, that is known for cooking to be your full-time chef, oh. who would it be? This is hard to answer. Um, <laughs> there is a... Taiwanese movie called Eat Drink Man Woman directed by Ang Lee and in that movie the the father there's an entire sequence of the father just cooking for his daughters um and it's filled with beautiful footage it's the way they shoot it is incredible it's super accurate and I would definitely probably hire someone like that or I would go the direction of Tampopo which is this amazing Japanese movie with a very young, um, uh, gosh, what's his name? A very young uh, Ken Watanabe. And in it, um, a character called Tampopo is trying to open a ramen shop and they spend the entire uh, movie talking about food and stuff. And so I would, she's someone else that I, I think I would probably hire.
if you were going to do like the complete opposite of that, like who would you not want? Who would I not want? Who for you? <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe the, uh, maybe the frogs and the, the cooking staff from Spirited Away because they're more about pleasing the customer. Um, and it's, it's obviously goes pretty badly for them with one of their very, uh, destructive guests. So I think I would want to want something a little more personalized. I love that. So you've got a ton of different YouTube channels and I want to challenge you to rank them all (laughs) by lifetime views, highest to lowest. So we've got command zone, feast of fiction and rocket jump, but only, well, let's just count the video game high school episodes, not the other ones from rocket jump. Oh, just what uh, what do you think ranks highest? Yeah. Which, which uh, I, ranks highest okay. to lowest? I pr- presumably I think Rocket Jump ranks the highest. It's the one that had like nine million subscribers at its height. Um, it's very very uh, viral, and I think Video Game High School is I think rated one of the most viewed web series of all time. So I'd say that first, and then it's probably pretty close between Feast of Fiction and Command Zone at this point. Feast of Fiction used to be in front by a large margin. Um, but Command Zone, after we started releasing Game Nights, and we've just been around now for seven years, has probably caught up. So I am going to go out on the limb and say that it goes Rocket Jump, then Command Zone, then Feast of Fiction. Do you want me to tell you the real answer? I would love to know the real answer. Feast of Fiction is number one. What? With 184 million. <laughs> Rocket Jump, just counting video game high school, so none of that stuff. Uh, Rocket Jump is 168 million. Oh, okay. And then Command Zone comes in at third with 141 million. Wow. Okay, so they're they're kind of close. I think Rocket Jump, if you counted like the views that video game high school got on Netflix and stuff, which you don't get to see the view count numbers of, probably then trumps it all. Um, But wow, that's crazy. I didn't know Feast of Fiction was in the lead. That's nuts. People love their fandoms at the end of the day. They do, they do. If you could pick one person to become a magic player and a guest star on game nights, who would it be? Can they be alive or do they have I mean can they be alive? Are they alive? Can they be dead? Doesn't matter. They can be dead. Okay. Um, I would probably want to bring on someone. We've talked about this person on the show a lot. Uh Sun Tzu wrote The Art of War. Um, there's lots of just really interesting nuggets in terms of you know political gameplay and stuff. Machiavelli is also someone that we reference. So I'd say probably one of those two. Um, it would also just be cool to see you know famous military leaders from the past. Like what would Napoleon do at the table would be a very fascinating uh, question to ask, I think. That is, is such a cool answer. What would, what would Napoleon do in this situation? That's, uh, I love try that. not to invade Russia. Um, that's cool, so sure. that, was, that was the rapid fire. Oh uh, yeah. That, that is that is fair. So that was rapid fire. Um, I want to jump into a couple of questions we have. So one of them is you've kind of went through a lot of different career arcs mm-hmm. over the last 12 years. You know, you've been in acting, gaming, cooking, publishing, music, comedy, and probably more that I haven't even listed there. Uh, how do you balance deciding between whether to work on new skills or double down on your existing things you've got going on? Wow, that's a good question. Um, being an entertainer or a content creator or an influencer, it's a very uh, wide net, I think, because you can be, you know, like we've said, you can be a food influencer all the way to a Twitch streamer, and it technically still is influencer or creator. 
Um, and so I think when it comes to decisions that I've made, a lot of times, a lot of my decisions just came from what do I personally want to do at this moment? And what do I find interesting? Or, you know, Feast of Fiction started with a conversation with my brother and I in our kitchen. And we grew up reading the Red Wall series, which is by Brian Jacques. Uh, and it's about little anthropomorphic animals fighting wars and feasting on great feasts, you know, and then I followed that up with Harry Potter, which is little kids as wizards feasting on great feasts. Um, and we said, why isn't there a video component to this? What, you know, we see some blogs doing it, but there's no one out there making this stuff in real life. Um, and that was the, the impetus to making that channel at first. I had no idea how long it was going to go for 10 years later in the cookbook, we're still doing it. Um, and when I did other stuff like the Magic the Gathering podcast that turned into Game Nights, it was a question between me and my friend Josh, who again, we, we looked onto the landscape and went, well, we really love this podcast that talks about this other format of Magic, but we enjoy this format and there's no one out there really making content for it. You know, Do you want to do it? Do you want to team up? And so we again saw sort of an empty spot and it worked well with our uh, interests. And then from there, we just push forward and start developing and making that stuff. So I think a lot of times it, it really depends on what I'm personally interested in. Um, and if it matches up with that, then great. Um, but there also needs to be a little bit more reason because you're at the end of the day, you're dedicating a lot of time and energy to something and having also someone to work with, uh, is really important. So a business partner or someone that can help keep you accountable. Um, I think going into any endeavor just by yourself is really intimidating. Um, and so understanding if the juice is worth the squeeze, as we like to say, is it's a good question to ask um, because it, it should be more than just, I'm personally interested in this. It's, am I personally interested in this? And, and if I am going to do it, am I going to be able to do it in a way that I'm sane and not, you know, wanting to tear my hair out at the end of it. When you, that's a great uh, perspective. When you talk about um, what you're passionate about, but there's something to squeeze out of it. Have you ever done something that you're not passionate about and just, something you knew you could squeeze something out of effectively, right? Like there's a demand for this type of content and you, you done it because you felt it was like the right thing to do versus. Right. Um, hmm, that's another good question as well. I think a lot of times, um, they, the types of jobs that I don't find as much passion for would be the ones that are less aligned with what sort of like the forward path that I'm trying to carve for myself. Um, so I would say when I do YouTube, when I make anything on the internet, I'm a lot of times it's focused around community. A lot of times it's focused around, um, bringing people together, sharing common interests, teaching. Um, those are sort of the pillars I think that are, that apply to a lot of the content that I make. Um, or it's a part of something that I believe will make a difference in the world or will have an impact like rocket jump and video game high school is a perfect example of that. Um, so I would say anytime that it lands outside of those bounds, if it's just like a pure for money type of thing, or there have been a couple of brand deals in the past where I do it, and I'm like, well, you know, it's not like I love this brand or this thing that they make so much, but I could find a fun opportunity to make a video out of it. That I would say is lying on the edge of like, eh, it's not as satisfying or something I want to do, but that doesn't necessarily mean I shouldn't do it because I think those are great opportunities as well to ask yourself, how do I make this? into something that does resonate with me and the sort of things I like to represent. Can I turn this into a teaching moment? Can I make this interesting or comedic in a way that will, you know, give someone a chuckle? Cause I think that's just as important sometimes as teaching someone a grand old lesson or whatever it is as well. Yep. You also mentioned that 
idea of having someone to keep you accountable or or a business partner like make content with or make a series with mm-hmm. how important is that because a lot of the new content creators that are listening to, yeah. to this podcast they're they're either doing it solo or like maybe they met someone but they're really early on have not got relationships really the built in the industry yet yeah yeah how important was that for you to you know stick with those series for so long so i believe i'm very lucky uh, in that the business partners and the people that I found to team up with are ones that I, you know, could last the distance, could go the distance. I think it's actually really important advice for people to be really honest and uh, critical in a in a positive sense about who you're working with and why you're working with them and whether or not they're also going to bring to the table the pieces that you're missing. Um, I've heard a lot of horror stories of people that want to I want, I trusted this friend to team up with me. I thought they were going to be in it. And then when it came down to it, they just didn't, you know, they were never there. They never finished or they never added to the thing that I was trying to do. Yada, yada. Uh, they just wanted to take from it instead. And I think that's like a really easy trap to fall into, which is not fully understanding who you're working with and being, you know, honest with yourself and asking, are they the right fit? Am I the right fit for them? Are they the right fit for me? Um, Cause a lot of times you're not going to get that perfect match immediately. Um, it's a little easier. I think if you're in cities that are like New York or LA or Atlanta or, or in, you know, anywhere that has a larger population, cause there'd be more people that are just naturally inherently interested in that road. And you have a higher chance of meeting them at network events through friends of friends. But I definitely would advise to always be very conscious of who you're working with and asking, you know, just tough hitting questions because not everything's always going to be gravy all the time. So I'm very fortunate in that the people that I found off the bat, you know, it's not like also they just came from nowhere. They were friends of friends or they were associates. Uh, um, they were peers. They were people that were, were trusted by someone else in the first place to be in that place. And then I met them um, like Josh, for instance, who I worked with on the magic stuff. He is a world-class trailer editor and had worked in trailers for um, uh, over a decade before he came to, he started watching rocket jump videos and quarter digital and went, Hey, I think these, these guys have something here. I'd love to get in there. And so he himself submitted his name be like, Hey, can I come in and just cut some stuff for you all for free? I want to see what you're doing. I think this is a really fascinating space. So that kind of person already has vetted themselves in a lot of ways. Um, but that may not be the case for the person that you find or are interested in pursuing your you know, business with. And I will say myself out there over the last two years, even over the pandemic, I've talked to probably five to 10 different people seriously and asking themselves like, Hey, this is what I'm trying to approach this is what I'm thinking of. Is this something that you're interested in? Is this something that you may want to work with me on? Um, and even in cases where I'm like, yeah, I think they'd be a perfect match. I, they, I really see their skill set adding on to what mine is. They didn't actually, because they weren't, you know, they didn't have the same gusto for the thing. Their passion wasn't lined up with what I was trying to do. Um, so definitely be patient and discerning when it comes to this sort of thing, because it it isn't an easy decision to make, especially if you're going to be with that person or persons for a long period of time. You definitely don't want to just push a relationship for that doesn't work. Yeah. Do you ever like when you're thinking about that person, you mentioned the guy with the, the trailers, mm-hmm. did you ever like test it out a little bit first? Was it, there's like a trial that you can like, let's trial this out. Let's commit to doing like three episodes or are you like, I know I'm going to yeah. jive with this person and I'm not going to jive with this person right away. I think you, you should inherently know your gut should tell you whether or not you do jive with a person. Um, especially if you're really close to understanding what, works for you and what makes you fulfilled and happy and comfortable and and also challenge at the same time. Um, so for Josh, it was, hey, let's just try this out. You know, none of us committed to anything. 
we weren't writing down a contract or whatever. Um, none of us were asking to get paid. It was just, we have a passion, we have a shared passion, and we want to see if we can make something out of it. So we just got together and I think we recorded like three podcast episodes that were never released. That was just us sitting in a room, seeing if we had the camaraderie and the ability to get through an hour of talking about something. Um, and I think after those tests, we were like, yeah, this works. I, I, I like you, you like me. Uh, I think we both bring unique viewpoints to the table and it's fun and all that stuff. And so we just kept going from there. And it was sort of an implicit agreement over time that we would both contribute equally to this thing. And then after, I don't know, like a year or so, we got more paperwork finalized because we needed to you know, establish a formal business and figure out all that stuff. But at that point, we had such a good working relationship that it wasn't that conversation was not difficult to have. It didn't create any divides or tears in a relationship because it's hard to determine even when you first start who deserves what, who should be called what, all those very formal things. Because um, creative you know, stuff comes from a place that isn't so formalized and written out and organized in that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I love the fact that you like did a couple of episodes, like testing it out first and just shooting. They never even released. I think yeah, that's a great idea for folks. Released, are... They never should be released. They're probably pretty bad. <laughs> it feels like that's a great opportunity to like dig up the archives uh, yeah, and bring maybe it back. Maybe for some extreme behind the scenes for the most ardent of fans. But even Josh and myself, we 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 did a rewatch of like one of our first episodes of Game Nights recently, and we were just like, "Oh gosh, oh my goodness, oh no." <laughs> I love that we. One of the things you mentioned is like um, kind of exclusive fans. And one of the things I've found super fascinating is how you've developed that loyal community. A lot of people are like, how do I provide benefits to my most loyal fans? Um, uh, and like, how do I structure that? It feels like you've just, I don't, I don't want to say like crack the code, but you've just found a really good system for rewarding your fan base for all the different series that you have going on. Mm -hmm. What was the evolution of your approach to kind of creating loyalty or kind of tiered loyalty within your community? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that me, my brother, my friends, Quarter Digital, the people I, I came to LA and lived with for a while have all been making content since or before the big uh, explosion of content creators. We were doing it in 2009, 10, 11, 12. So we're the very early years. And a lot of the lessons we learned at that time still apply today. So, you know, when it come, came to VidCon and all these other things and comments and right, there are always these opportunities to meet fans and to interact with them or to hear what they had to say and to give them a chance to donate like on Kickstarter or, or merchandise or whatever it was. Um, so I think we inherently were able to test out a lot of what works and also what we enjoy doing in those days. You know, I think a lot of us were a little more comment friendly in the beginning and now maybe stay a, a little bit away from that. But at the same time, you know, on Twitter, for instance, I find it's an amazing place to talk to people. We have a Discord, you know, Discord's a big thing, Patreon's a big thing now, and all these different platforms and tools exist for you to interact with fans. Um, so I think that's like the big difference in content creators versus your traditional celebrity is that you actually have a chance to one-on-one -on -one personally have a conversation with someone. I can't go, go out and like message, you know, Brad Pitt and ask him how his day was, but someone on Twitter can, and there's a good chance I'll respond to them. Um, and there's a good chance I'll respond to a comment, you know, there's, so that connection, I think is what you grow eventually. And the relationship that you have with your fans is one that you get to make the decision on all the time. If you're going to be combative or not, or if you want to be uh, friendly, or if you're going to go to war with someone over something, or if you're just going to ignore it, right? All of these decisions, I think, add up to your overall relationship with your fan base. Yeah. You've done, so you've done, I think, over like 450 episodes or so of Command Zone now. Mm-hmm. 
what's been the experience of growing the show and the kind of evolution of it? Um, like initially starting on YouTube, um, the series of OMG is like growing it over time. How have you found the evolution of the show? We actually started the show as an audio only podcast at first because um, it was a podcast. We didn't think you need a video component. And I remember it was even a conversation that Josh and I had. We were like, do we want to open a YouTube channel? It's like, yeah, I, I guess we should. There's, I mean, we may as well. Maybe we can just do the audio with just a black screen over it for now. And uh, over time, it evolved into, let's put a camera in front. Let's do it in a set. Let's do it in front of a backdrop. Let's light it. Let's get better audio equipment. Let's standardize things. Let's add on graphics, the lower thirds and all that. Let's bring in editors. Let's set a style guide. Let's make sure that the assets that we're using are all of, us, of the right quality and the way that we present cards is standardized and formalized um, because you know, if you're providing a service where we talk a lot about cards and all sorts of images and things, and we need to be able to show those on screen. So it would be a disservice to, I think, the people watching to just give them a half-baked product. So a big evolution of what happened with that show was just that we just got, we just took it more seriously on the video version because we realized that YouTube was a massive audience. And at first the audio downloads would far surpass the YouTube views, but now it's the other way around. So we're definitely much more of a video podcast, sort of similar to like what you see with Good Mythical Morning, um, shows that have the host presenting to camera. Um, so I think that made a big difference over time is just understanding the power of YouTube and, and why it's great to watch a YouTube podcast. And now that we have you know a team of editors and all that stuff, we can really standardize it and make it look good and feel consistent and awesome. And we know that the viewers also appreciate that as well. So it's definitely a, a simultaneous, we want to make it look better because that's what we you know aspire to do is make high quality content and also it's what our viewers enjoy seeing as well hey i just want to take a little pause from the episode to tell you about an amazing opportunity that we have stone's going to share a little more details but if you're interested in growing your stream then listen to what he has to say did you know there's a proven way to grow your stream i get that growing your audience can feel impossible i've been there but i'm here to tell you that with the right framework it's not only possible I try and make it as simple as possible. I spent the last 10 years learning how to hone my craft and I've distilled the most important things that I've learned into a one hour free live training session. I'm gonna be talking about the most important things that you should be focusing on to create amazing content, grow your audience and to monetize. You shouldn't be working hard and not seeing results. I wanna save you from working on the stuff that isn't really moving the needle for you. There's a proven framework that every streamer uses to grow. It might be in different ways, but I'll even show you examples of how it's worked with many new creators. So what's the secret? Stay tuned for the session, find out. Spots are even limited. So make sure to save it now, and I hope to see you there. Just click the link in the episode description to register. You, you mentioned the kind of feedback loop from the community, like if, if they're kind of responding to it. The other side of that coin is just negative feedback and like criticism mm -hmm. and just, you know, toxicity and things online. People yeah. always have opinions um, on whatever you do. How do you handle that? Or do you, do you even pay attention to it? Well, you certainly reap what you sow, both in content creation and in life. Um, you are the arbiter of your own reality and you control your own reality, even if people are going to comment and deliver negativity your way, how you respond to it is how you shape the universe around you. 
Um, and that's always been the case. Uh, at the same time, it's very hard for the brain to let go of one negative comment in the sea of 100 positive comments because the negative comment could say something that is just so abhorrent or toxic or damaging or pokes at that insecurity that really just gets you. Um, so I think for me, a lot of my learning has been one, making a lot of mistakes, uh, engaging sometimes when I shouldn't. And instead of continuing to feed into it, because the more I do it, the more it's going to happen. That's the other side of the coin that I think people don't realize as much, right? If you, all you do is respond to negative comments in your comment section, then you're going to get more negative comments because people know that you're going to respond to it, or they're going to see like, oh, I'm going to really try and push this person's buttons. If you ignore them completely, that's also an option. If you just straight delete them, which is totally acceptable, by the way, it's your comment section. You don't have to have some crap bile just sitting in there if you don't want it there. Um, that's another way to filter out and set the vibe the way that you want it to be set. Um, so I think for me, a lot of it's been just a long, long lesson in growing more patient, um, taking the punches and not being so affected by them and, and trying to flow with what the world is giving me uh, in a way that makes me happy at the end of the day. Because I've had my share of commenting and replying and getting in massive long Twitter arguments with people. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong. Um, but it brings such an anxiety to my life that I don't need that I think that's the thing that I've taken away from those. Like, let's just, it's okay to ignore someone. It's okay to not listen because in real life, people don't act this way because they have faces and they have, they're actually there in front of you. They're not going to just say this stuff. You know, if you didn't like a movie and you saw the director, are you going to go up to them and be like, I didn't like your movie. You'll be like, yeah, it was nice. And the director doesn't need to receive your 10 page long thesis on medium about why your movie was awful in the 20 different ways. <laughs> But the internet lets you open that avenue uh, where it wasn't open before. So I think we as well should recognize, one, how not true to life it is, uh, that ability and that sort of reception, receptive module that we have online, and also recognize our own power in that we can filter it and control the input. Um, and at the same time, that helps shape your community. I, I love the beauty of Twitter and the sense that you can you know, <laughs> write a comment and you can someone else. You, well, I love the there is a beauty to it in the sense that you can have that access, right? I think it's unique right. to our industry in the sense that you people are more accessible in general, but it does come with that 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 coin flip, right? Is that yeah, yeah. When you just get people can say anything with zero repercussions, you're gonna get some some weird stuff uh, in there for sure. When you um, look at doing some of the higher production quality content that you've done, um, of which you've done quite a bit now for Milan or or Wish Dragon. Mm -hmm. When you're doing that much higher production content, how does your kind of mode shift as a creative when doing that versus running a YouTube series? Uh, that's a great question. So Mulan, I would say, was one of the most sort of like learning experiences uh, that I've ever had. It was just such a different um, beast uh, just because it was so... It was so big and the the power that i had uh compared to a youtube video or what i normally do was so minimal um i felt like i was a tiny cog in a massive machine of many more cogs and spin as i might there's only so much that i could influence um like i could spin at a thousand rpm and move the whole thing one inch uh i could spin at mm. one rpm and move the whole thing about the same amount um so a lot of it was understanding how these big productions work 
where your place is. You know, at the end of it, you're an actor to do a job to read lines off a script and to be a character in a movie that a director and an entire production team has a vision for that they're crafting. So you can't just go in there and do yakety sacks and whatever you want. Even if you think it's the right direction, you have to pay respect to the production as a whole. Otherwise, you might just get kicked off it too. So I think for me, a lot of it was humble soup. You know, I had to really sit down and be the thing that they needed as opposed to the thing that I wanted. Um, and also coming to terms with how do I make the thing that I want into the thing that they need and sort of playing that balance as well. Um, so it was definitely a lesson in humility in a lot of different ways. And ultimately, I was very grateful for the experience. I got to you know, make some incredible friends with the cast and really learn a lot about how these big productions get, get created. And I could bring a lot of that professional knowledge back to the studio where we're doing our stuff on the much lower end. But you know, what we're trying to do is build a new structure, build a new process that obviously doesn't just eschew the old and forget it, right? We, you know, don't reinvent the wheel, but you can definitely make the wheel more round and more efficient and more suited to your needs. So a lot of doing Mulan and big productions is about that process for me. Is about what you can take back to your own content? Yeah, take back to your own content, what you can learn, what you know after doing that, what you don't want to do, and knowing what you want to, want to do after that. Being like, wow, the way that they set that lighting up and the way that they were able to go from uh, you know, cameras up to action to cut was so efficient, and they had 500 people on set. There's something there that's really powerful and really good. Oh, it's because they had a first AD. Okay, I think we should actually implement someone that acts like a first AD in our shoots from now on and train them up and uh, know the pitfalls of being a first AD or the person that's always bugging everyone to get to set on time and making sure that they understand why that person is there. And, and then, you know, we actually did implement that into our game night shoots. And now they run a little bit, you know, it, maybe it's 5% better than they did last time, but we're hitting our times better. We're, we're not as delayed. Um, and then other parts where it's like, you know, it was such a big set that it felt like the actors or this group of people, the lighters, whatever, didn't have the agency that they needed and it caused this delay over here. Okay, well, maybe we can fix that by having the lighting team and everyone meet before the actual shoot instead of doing the adjustments on the day, doing some camera tests and all this stuff. So you kind of learn the ebb and flow of how big productions work and lots of the stuff that comes from that will work on your small studio and a lot of it won't work. And I think taking the core from all that was really valuable. And I'm saying that because I'm a content creator. A lot of the actors are not going to have this in their heads when they're doing their job. They're focused on acting. Um, but for me, you know, I'm trying to bring all of my skills together and make the best product and have it apply across a wide variety of things. So I'm always trying to make sure that I'm doing the most efficient thing and not just making the same mistakes over and over again. What's, um, in that regard, like what, what is some general advice for people that are just starting out in their content creation journey? We have a lot of listeners that are really early. Um, and they're, they're watching someone like you who has 12 years of experience has iterated so much over the years. And I think there's a temptation to emulate your journey mm -hmm. or like things that you've learned. And they might, they might be trying to skip a couple of steps. Um, is there any advice you have for them that are, when they're just starting out? Emulation is great. Um, there is a term in film industries and stuff where it's called like, can you cheat a little to the left and the word cheat? is great or uh, can you just like yeah we're gonna cheat this in this way or we're gonna do it like this to cheat it 
Um, and typically, people don't like the word cheat. It comes with a negative connotation. And I think that's just a linguistics thing. Humans are very much dominated by language. Um, but you can definitely reshape the way that words work for you. And cheating in film is an amazing idea because it means that you're getting something you're let's say you're putting in 10 and you're getting 20 out of it you're actually creating more value by giving your making it a little easier or doing it in a way that makes more sense um so i think when i first started i'm i mean feast of fiction we literally just taking things that other people have done animated created and put into their books movies mangas animes or whatever and making that in real life i'm not sitting here coming up with an entire universe to create something from i'm just borrowing from other people um, I'm paying homage to it. I'm, I'm addressing the fans that love the show and all that stuff. But it's at, at the end of the day, my creative work is not as extensive as d taking something from you know a piece of flour all the way to the final product and creating some beautiful concoction. No, I'm just emulating what someone else has done, but I'm making sure to add my own layers on top of it and to refine it in a way that is fun for me. So that's cheating in a lot of ways. You're you're taking a concept and you're just messing around a little bit making it a little easier for you to uh to to just to make it sustainable to make it work to make it doable and sure maybe in the future you want to do it in a way that's way more extensive and way more cool uh but right now you know you have zero dollars and you have a iphone camera cheat emulate do what works figure out what you like to do and why it works and why it doesn't before you get into the whole hoity-toity, well, it must look like this and all that stuff. And you can just look at any famous director's like first movie projects. They're not great, but they have the heart of what makes the movie director so good in the long run. Um, and so you can learn a lot from that as well. Your first things out the gate should not be perfect. If they are, then you are an anomaly. <laughs> and I will say most of us are not anomalies. Most people, again, don't reinvent the wheel. We just borrow from what's done before, we improve upon it, and then we create something original from our iteration. I love that. That's great advice. If you're listening, you should definitely heed that if you're just, yeah. just starting out. I mean, so you know, 2022 is aping. It's another word, right, for copying. It's it's definitely okay to copy yeah. as long as you're not just one for wanting it. You know, Add your own juice to it, your own flair, whatever it is. 2022 is the 10 year anniversary of yes. video game high school. What's the biggest thing you learned from filming the three seasons? Jeez, there's a lot there. Um, so when we did the project, it was very unique because it was a Kickstarter. It was crowdfunded. Uh, the fans were able to really involve themselves. We put their names up on the walls. We brought them in to be extras on set um, and really tried to reward them for being a part of our community. And that, to me, I think was one of the most important parts of the whole process, that it was a show made for us because you know we wanted to make it, and it was the vision of the directors to make it and the showrunners and the writers. But it was also a show for them, and we wanted to make sure that we made something that was very true to itself and true to what the vision was, but also resonated with the people that we were making it for. Cause that's, you know, entertainment is a two way street. It's a, it's something very rarely will you find a, a really famous career that only creates stuff for themselves that just happens to resonate with a ton of people. Um, I remember I, I was watching like the Netflix documentary on Kanye and his whole original sort of thesis is like, I'm not trying to be out here rapping about, you know, diamond rings and bling and, and all this stuff. I'm, I'm rapping what's true to me. 
And what's true to me is, you know, you see it in his early lyrics and stuff is all this stuff that's about, you know, not having enough money or trying to flex when you can't wearing your best watch just because, you you know, you're trying to do something, you're trying to say something. And I think that is something that resonates with people because it's true to him. So I think all good art comes from that, like a shared truth that we can bring out and elucidate through, you know, whatever it is that we're making music or whatever. Um, and so that was something I think I really learned from that was how powerful that was. I also really learned how important it was to work with your friends in a, you know, in multiple ways. One is, yeah, obviously we all want to work with the people we like, but that isn't always going to work out. And there are relationships that didn't pan out after the show was done because of the tensions that were created and the relationships that did pan out. Um, and so understanding that there is a difference, you still can work with your friends and have that immediate sort of connection and an ability to sort of overstep a lot of um, the formalities of, of sets. You know, Freddie was the director and he can say something to me in a way that maybe he can't necessarily say to an, a union actor that has no relation to him. Uh, and to someone else, they may go like, wow, that was yeah. really direct. But to me, I was like, thank you for being direct. Um, and that's unique to us, right? And there's going to be stuff like that that's unique to you too. But I think there is a power to being able to work directly with your friends. And a lot of that comes from inherent trust, um, shared vision, shared goals, uh, moving towards the same thing. It really does take a village in the community to make these sorts of things. So I think keeping that in mind is really important too. So those are two of the sort of big lessons I think I learned from all three seasons of it and seeing it evolve in production scale and all that stuff too. Sweet. We're already a couple of months into 2022. Um, we're coming yep. to the end of the podcast. We got 2022 ahead of us. What are some of the things that you're excited about for the rest of the year? Well, we are planning a 10-year merch relaunch for Video Game High School because it's the 10-year anniversary. I think we're looking to do it around the time that people are starting to go back to school would be my ideal. Um, and it's something that people have been asking for almost every day. Like, hey, I want that jersey. I want that shirt. Where can I get it? And it's like, well, we stopped making it. But with the 10-year thing here, it's a perfect chance for us to sort of do that reunion, sort of do that throwback to this thing that we all you know, are very closely tied to still today. Uh, it really you know, kickstarted a lot of our careers in a lot of different ways. Um, so that's, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I, uh, I just had a child in January, so that is something oh, that, congrats. thank you. It's a very, uh, insane journey so far for that. And that's something that I know I'll be looking forward to for the rest of my life, as long as the child is here and maybe there's more on the way, who knows? Um, so that's a, a lot of, a lot of lessons learned there and a lot of sleepless nights. Um, but it's all very worth it. So I think those are, those are two big things on the horizon. Um, we're looking to expand our studio for game nights and stuff as well. And we're looking to build some cool stuff out and really increase our production capabilities and keep growing the team there. So that's been an incredible journey as well. Um, and I still have Feast of Fiction going, you know, we, we thank God for brand deals. Uh, they really help power the channel. Um, and my co-host had a kid a while back. Uh, so it's nice to join her as well in the child journey. Um, we hired a brand new producer that's just knocking it out of the park and bringing a lot you know we're reshaping the way that we make the episodes and the 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 way that we film it and all that stuff and making it more efficient and finding ways to now dive into the tiktok and the youtube shorts world and see what's there so i think there's just tons of stuff that's happening and for me it's about staying mobile and empowering the right people to do the right things as well where if people want to keep a track of everything that's coming this year where should they go to find it you can, almost everything is at JFWONG, JF Wong on Twitter and Instagram. That's pretty much where if I ever have an announcement or something significant to talk about, it'll all be there. 
it'll always be a link to somewhere else. Um, and then the YouTube site for Command Zone is just just look up Game Nights, Nights with a K, and you'll you can dive down a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole of tons of stuff to do there. So that I think is where um, where uh, where most of the stuff lives. I love it. And Jimmy reads his tweets, so tweet at him. Uh, maybe he reads his tweets too much. <laughs> be nice. Yeah. Uh, I'll just cool. You. Jimmy, you thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the pod yeah no worries thanks so much Cheers. great questions so hope hope everyone learn uh listening can learn something thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode i wanted to just end this with a little bit of context on why we do what we do we're former content creators ourselves and we just really want to help as many content creators as we can that's why we started pipeline.gg it's a platform where you can find other like-minded creators and learn from the pros who have already been there Get step-by-step -step guidance so you can avoid all the mistakes that we made in the beginning. If you love the episode, there's going to be even more inside of Pipeline. So check it out. Head over to pipeline.gg.